Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church Online. I'm so glad you clicked in and you're joining us. Uh, I hope it's been a great week and I hope you're heading in to another great week. We are in the book of Proverbs and uh, you know what is interesting is Proverbs just constantly talks about fools and foolish behavior. Uh, and the first thing that comes to mind when I think of foolish behavior uh, are some of the stories that I recall from the times when I was like a middle school youth pastor. Uh, I remember a kid coming up to me one day and he looked at me and he said, Brandon, you're never gonna guess what I ate today. And I'm thinking this kid probably had lobster for the first time in his life, or maybe he had an awesome steak, or maybe his parents just took him out for his favorite cheeseburger. And I just looked at him, I said, what'd you eat, buddy? And he said, I ate a piece of incense today. <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, he was so excited to share with me that he ate a piece of incense. And I said, why would you eat a piece of incense? And I promise you, these were his exact words. Well, I thought it was a dog treat. And that spun me out even more. I'm like, you ate a piece of incense thinking it was something that you shouldn't have even been eating in the first place. He said, well, I had to. Somebody dared me. Uh, you know, my, uh, my son even, like I have three boys and my middle son one day, uh, I hear this from uh, another person at our church. He, uh, he was eating this amazing, delicious, like flavored popcorn. And uh, this guy who's telling me this story says, uh, your son was eating popcorn and he was just like, this is so good. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's cherry flavored popcorn. And he offered me some and I ate it. And I was like, that is good. Where'd you get it? He said, I just found it in the garbage. Why are kids eating the weirdest things at the wrong times? Um, I remember like early on in my youth ministry uh, years, there was a lady uh, who would always give all of the pastors a beautiful lamb cake uh, during Easter. And I think in her mind, it probably looked something like this. It was, you know, a lamb mold covered in powdered sugar. And ours wasn't this glorious and Pinterest worthy with the ribbon and the fruit and all of the garnish. Uh, the, the cake that we got looked a little more like this. <laughs> That's disturbing. Like that, like even looking, like the eyes, uh, you know, raisins pierced with, and we just had to look at these uh, toothpicks poked through the head of this beautiful lamb cake. And well, I mean, it's creepy, but it, at least it didn't look like this, which other people have had to, to eat and see. Get that out of there. That's freaking me out. But this lamb cake, like I didn't really know the lady, but it was real sweet that she did this. And, and I just left the lamb cake on my desk in my office. That's just where it sat. And I let it sit there and I'd always consider maybe getting some. And I think maybe even I did like break off a little bit of the ear or the foot to eat it because, you know, she went through all that measure, but I, it was, it didn't look good. So I remember after about two weeks on my desk, I just, I just put it in the trash can in my office uh, and didn't think another thing about it. Well, later that night, middle school happened. I was a middle school pastor. This kid runs into my office. He just wants to talk to me and hang out with me. I loved it. And as he's kind of hanging over, the, the couch, uh, I'm at my desk and he's hanging over, he's talking to me and he just starts looking. He looks down in the trash can. He goes, huh, he said, what's that? I said, well, it's a lamb cake. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean lamb cake? I said, well, somebody bakes a lamb cake for all the pastors and you know, it was, it was a little past its due date. So I just threw it away. And he goes, that's the reason you threw it away is because it was just 
a little pat. There's nothing wrong with it. Is it gross? And I said, no, it's not gross. It's not, I mean, there's, it's not expired. It wasn't made with bad milk. And he goes, you're not lying to me, are you? And I said, no, I'm not lying to you. So he says, if I eat this lamb cake, it's, you're not tricking me. I'm just like, well, it is in the garbage. It's not a trick. And so he picks up the garbage can. He starts eating this lamb cake out of the garbage. Like, what is it with middle schoolers and eating things? They just will eat anything. And I got to tell you, when I think about these stories, that is on some level, foolish behavior. But there's actually a pretty big difference between somebody's childish ways and willful foolishness. You know, the foolishness that Solomon talks about through the book of Proverbs is stubborn rejection of wisdom that leads to destruction. And unlike childish ways, uh, you know, that are going to be outgrown, wisdom isn't outgrown. You don't outgrow foolishness. You, You have to get out of foolishness through wisdom and understanding. And Solomon gives us so much about foolishness throughout the entire book of Proverbs because you know why? It's nearly impossible to shake off foolishness without some help from the outside. That's why Solomon continues to say, get wisdom, get understanding. That's the starting line for each and every one of us in this race to steer clear of becoming fools and to kind of steer clear of people who are displaying foolish behavior. You know, why don't you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26. We're going to get into it today. The first 12 verses, Solomon gives us what I call rules for responding to fools. If you are a note taker, uh, I'd love it if you'd get out your uh, pen, a piece of paper. Maybe you've got your YouVersion Bible app. And we're just going to get into these four rules for responding to fools. And I, I promise you, today, uh, these four rules are going to help us act wisely when we interact with people who are not wise. Uh, we want to jump in to, to learn how these godly principles can guide us in our actions and in our conversations. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of tense and confusing moments in life, and we want to make sure we're navigating those with wisdom. Uh, here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, we want to read the signs. We want to read the signs. You can see a sign, right? You know what a sign is? A sign tells you about the thing. Like that's the essence of a sign. Um, You know, I was on a road trip with my family and, you know, long road trips and you got little kids. My wife and I, we had three little kids at the time and and it it was lunchtime. Like my wife said, hey, I think we need to pull over for lunch. The kids were like, yeah, we're hungry. And we saw a McDonald's sign. We saw that red sign with the golden arches. I said, you guys want to go to McDonald's and everybody at one time. Like they were loving it that we were going to stop at McDonald's. So uh, a couple miles ahead was the exit. We got off on the exit. And when we saw the exit, we saw the sign. It said McDonald's to the right. We took a right. And we go down the road just a little bit and we saw the giant sign above the McDonald's, golden arches. I pull into the parking lot and the kids are getting excited. And what I did was I drove around as if I was looking for a parking space, but then I just left McDonald's and then uh, I just took off. And my kids were like, you know, a little bit of, little bit of chuckling, like, uh, hey dad, what's, what's going on? I was like, well, I said, do you want to go to McDonald's? We went to McDonald's. Worst dad joke ever, because at that point, there was yelling, there was screaming, there was crying, and that was just my wife. I had to turn around. I'm just kidding. She didn't, but you know what I'm saying? Like those kids didn't think the joke was as funny as dad did. I drove through that McDonald's, but I drove back because we saw the sign. And I'm telling you, people aren't much different than that McDonald's. I mean, people, uh, they're, they're, they're throwing signs all the time. People are displaying what they're thinking. I mean, if you look for the signs, you 
you can see uh, not just the destination, but you can see what's going on inside of a person. Uh, every single person you ever come in contact with is sending a signal. So uh, we want to read the signs. Um, really what I'm saying there is we got to depend on some discernment when we interact with people. Solomon says fools are everywhere. We got to see the signs, which means we got to discern the kind of person we're with. Look at this, uh, verses two through five. Fools are not self-aware. We have to kind of be aware for ourselves when we're around fools. Like a fleeting sparrow, a fluttering swallow, uh, an undeserved curse, it goes nowhere. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. These fools are sending signs. And this wisdom that Solomon uh, is giving, it is so good. What he's saying is when a fool says hurtful things, you got to look for those signs. When a fool says hurtful things, like we get to ignore it. We don't have to worry about the, the random insults that come our way because they have no substance. You know, they're empty words, the, the, the empty words that are just going to fade. They don't stick. You know, I remember being uh, at, a, at a, it was a Taco Bell with a buddy of mine. Uh, this was some years ago. He was my supervisor. We were both in youth ministry. We went to Taco Bell together. And as we left Taco Bell, some lady was whipping around the corner. And for some reason, she just started yelling at me. I think she was dairy-free. They probably put sour cream on everything and she needed to take it out on somebody. I don't know the reason, but I wasn't in her way. I wasn't looking at her. I wasn't causing a problem. This lady just decided to start yelling at me outside of her SUV. She's just yelling and screaming and saying hurtful, weird, mean things. And I didn't really think too much about it, but it was making my blood boil. And while I was sitting here thinking, this is ridiculous, uh, my eyes were like fully dilating, things were spinning through my mind that I was getting ready to say, and my friend said, hey, let's go. He was super calm. He saw everything that was happening. He could also see that my blood was boiling and that I didn't do anything. And he immediately recognized that whatever was happening here was foolish. Uh, she was saying foolish things and it was kind of firing me up. But the thing to do was to just go, to, to not get caught up in the situation, to not get drawn in. You know, there are times to correct fools, just like there's times to, you know, correct a horse and to guide a donkey. There's a time for a rod for the back of fools, but I didn't have any relationship with this person. And this person wasn't gonna change because of anything that I was saying. The wise thing to do would be to read the signs that this is a foolish moment and to just get out. And here's the tricky part. We keep on reading in Proverbs and we're starting to say, you know, how should I answer a fool? Because sometimes there's some foolish babbling that we respond to and sometimes we don't. How do you know when? And Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 say this, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness or he'll become wise in his own eyes. So this is kind of confusing for all of us, right? Because it clearly says don't. It says don't answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you're going to be like him yourself. But, but then Solomon, he goes right back to say, but, but actually do. Actually answer a fool according to his foolishness. Like, what is this all about? And the bottom line is, it really comes down to read the signs. 
like we need to lean in to a new level of discernment. Sometimes you need to call out the foolishness and speak the truth in love. And other times you just ignore it. It's better to, to just go, to leave, see the signs and don't get dragged in their mess. Don't be drugged through the mud because you're engaging with somebody who isn't worth your time. You know, the main thing is to examine the situation and follow the Spirit's leading. We want to rely on God and His Word, and we don't want to let a fool pull us into their drama. Here's something Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Don't give dogs what is sacred, and don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under the feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Don't waste your time. That's what Jesus is saying. His message is about wasting valuable, sacred things on those who won't appreciate them and sometimes get angry that you're even trying to share these great things with them. So how do we know if somebody's a fool or not? What, like, what are the signs that you and I are looking for to know if we're dealing with a fool? Because, because we don't want to give dogs what's sacred. We don't want to throw our pearls to pigs, right? Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. You might want to write these down. Uh, it's more of a starter pack, but we see all seven of these things in Proverbs. Seven signs of a fool. A fool will reject wisdom. I mean, Solomon's saying, if you don't want to be a fool, go get wisdom, go get understanding. Uh, a fool rejects all of that. They lack judgment. Uh, it's all about themselves and they're going to do whatever they want to do. They're impulsive and hasty, uh, meaning that a fool often acts without considering the consequences. Uh, they don't even care about the potential outcome. You know why? Because they haven't thought through the outcome. Uh, a fool is resistant to correction. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be told what's right. They reject wisdom and they don't want you to correct them. They're arrogant uh, we've talked about arrogance uh, a lot, especially last week. Like we want to steer clear of pride, but a fool doesn't really care. A fool is short-sighted. They can't see the future. They can't see the results uh, that are going to come from you know, their, uh, their decisions that are made in haste. They can only see what's right in front of them in the moment. And a fool lacks self-control. There's no self-control. All of these things uh, you know, really encompass who a fool is. And there's so many more things. You could come up with another dozen or two dozen things just from the book of Proverbs that help us see the signs of a fool. Maybe that's something you want to do this week. Just scroll through Proverbs and start reading it and just pick out all of the signs of a fool. And it's going to help you because you're going to be able to see the signs. These, all these things, by the way, all of these things are cues from culture. If you think about it, a fool, by pursuing their own desires, their own wants, they're really pursuing God. Now, hold on. Like, think about that. They're really, truly pursuing God, but they're not pursuing the right God. And they find a God, and maybe it's themselves, maybe it's sex, maybe it's money, maybe it's desire, maybe it's fill in the blank. They're just worshiping and falling in love with the wrong God. That's what, that's what being a fool really is all about. And the big obstacle between you know, many people and faithfully following Jesus is, is their pursuit and it's their desire to fit in. Like these are cues from culture and people are doing these things to, to uh, experience their own pleasure and to fit in to culture. They want to fit into what's new, fit into culture, fit into what's trending, fit in with their friends, fit in uh, to their neighborhoods by what they buy and how they look. What do we do? 
we got to read the signs to know if that's a person to engage with in conversation, to continue to, uh, you know, go through whatever they're going through in conversation or action or deed, because we don't want to get sucked in to fitting in. You know, Jesus stands out. People were drawn to Jesus. Crowds followed Jesus. Leaders were curious about who this man was. He drew attention to himself and to his mission, but he stayed faithful to God's truth the whole time. He didn't veer even a little bit. Standing out as a faithful follower of Jesus is greater than fitting in every single time. So what do we want to do? We want to, we want to read the signs. We want to see the signs in every situation that we run into. Here's number two, save your breath. Read the signs. If you really want to know what these rules for responding to fools are, you read the signs and sometimes you just got to save your breath. This is a priceless rule because sometimes the best thing to do is to just say nothing and to walk away. I remember uh, uh, calling a girl to see if she'd be my date to the seventh and eighth grade dance. It was the biggest of deals. Like I had never done this before and I mustered up the courage to call this girl. Uh, I didn't text her because cell phones didn't exist. I didn't email her because I didn't know what that was. I called her on a telephone and, and I remember her answering the phone and, and I was just like, hey, Shelby, would you go to the dance with me? And she said, who is this? And I said, I said I'm so sorry. Uh, this is Brandon Early from your school. And she, I'll never forget what she said. I remember her words exactly. She says, I don't know who you are. <laughs> My stomach sank a little bit. You know, I was taking a risk, but she didn't, she didn't know me. It was awkward. I, I, in that moment, I honestly wish I had saved my breath, meaning I wish I didn't say anything. I, I wish I didn't waste these words because it wasn't the right time and maybe not even the right person. But she was very kind over the phone. I hung up. I went about my life. I just went about the day. I think it was weekend. And then I went to school on Monday. Uh, and I'll never forget this moment. I walked into my English class and uh, this other girl who was only, I know her from my English class, she must have been friends with Shelby because as soon as class started, she shot up out of her desk and she said, hey everybody, I gotta tell you something. Brandon likes Shelby and she doesn't like him. Oh, and the whole class erupted and laughed and all I wanted to do was disappear. I was sinking into my chair. I was holding back tears. I was hoping I was wishing that her desk would just collapse on her and she would fall on her face, right? Like that would have made me feel so good in the moment. And it's okay that I had those feelings. I wasn't a Christian back then. Some of us wanna fight in the moment. And I promise you this, it wasn't because of wisdom, it was because of, of embarrassment, it was because of the situation, but I just held my breath. This girl standing on her desk, giving me a little embarrassment and shame, it wasn't worth the conversation. I needed to hold back. I needed to walk away. I, I, I shouldn't, I couldn't, I didn't want to engage. And I promise you that was just me protecting myself. But I also want you to know that that was the wise thing to do, to not engage, to not fight back. I just needed to save my breath. Look at Proverbs 26.1 and Proverbs 26.8. Like snow in summer and rain in harvest. Both of those things are nonsense and useless at those times. Honor is inappropriate for a fool. In other words, honor is nonsense when it comes to a fool. You don't honor a fool. Look at this next verse, eight. Giving honor to a fool is like 
binding a stone in a sling. You know what happens when you bind a stone in a sling? It doesn't work like it's supposed to. That sling becomes useless. In other words, honor is wasted on a fool. The moment you engage, you're, you're honoring that fool. Don't engage because that's honor. That's exactly what a fool wants. Don't give in to those foolish tendencies. Don't give them the dignity that they're asking for. And I'm not saying demoralize them. I'm just saying they, they take your, your fight back as, as, a, as a trophy. Honor is wasted on a fool. When, when somebody is uh, actively engaged in foolish, unwise, ungodly behavior, we don't have to engage. And sometimes just engaging is, is celebrating their actions. That sends a message that you're kind of endorsing their foolishness because you're egging it on, you're, you're keeping it going. What do we do? Well, we've got to interact with humility and grace. And if we do engage, we always speak truth and we speak truth in love. Uh, but in, in many situations, the best way is to just walk away. Save your breath. Don't waste your words by honoring a fool. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. You know, Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, uh, Herod had wanted to see Jesus because uh, he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some miracles performed. Uh, so he kept asking Jesus questions, but Jesus didn't answer him. You know, in Luke chapter 23, when Herod is asking Jesus questions, Jesus just saved his breath. He didn't engage. He didn't give him any words. And by the way, this wasn't Jesus being rude. It wasn't Jesus being stubborn. Jesus, you know, he, he saw the signs. Jesus was holding his breath because he knew that Herod wasn't sincerely seeking resolution. He just wanted some entertainment. Jesus didn't want to indulge Herod's motive. So he just remained silent. And when Pilate, Pontius Pilate, uh, questioned Jesus, Jesus either said very, very little, or he actually mostly said nothing, Matthew 27, 14. But he didn't even answer Pontius Pilate. He didn't even answer one of the charges. You know, Jesus saved his breath because he recognized that defending himself, uh, it, wasn't, it was gonna be useless because uh, leadership was corrupt and the people had already uh, determined what they wanted. It was pointless. Defending himself would have been pointless. And also, uh, as the, the perfect son of God, Jesus did not need to defend himself because of his innocence. He didn't want to engage and, and give uh, any credit to their quarreling. But ultimately, Jesus was silent, not, not only to save his breath, but to fulfill prophecy. You know, it's, uh, it's in Isaiah 53, 7 that we read that the Messiah uh, would be oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. Jesus wasn't wasting his breath. He was saving his breath, but he was also uh, fulfilling prophecy. This was a part of the plan. Number three, we have four rules for responding to fools. Read the signs, save your breath. And number three, avoid entanglements. This one's kind of tough because we do want to, you know, be free to have conversations with fools, but we don't want to be pulled into foolish behavior. You know, we don't want to enter into some kind of lifelong contract. We don't want to co-sign for a fool. I remember a buddy of mine, uh, he got a job in Chicago. His house was 
outrageously expensive. Uh, the church was paying him enough, but like we were both young, just out of college guys and money was a big deal. And he and his wife asked me and my wife if we would co-sign for their house. And we did it, but I gotta tell you, my heart was skipping. I was nervous and I trusted this guy. He was not a fool. Uh, and he actually, like he was faithful to the payments. We never experienced any backlash from our co-signing. But man, you, re you really better know somebody if you're gonna co-sign for them. You know, uh, avoiding entanglements uh, is, is paramount to living a wise life because uh, fools are gonna often misapply and misuse any wisdom that they actually have. They're gonna, they're gonna use it in a way that it's useless <clears throat> or in a way that it's harmful. Look, look at verse 10 in Proverbs 26. The one who hires a fool or who hires those passing by is like an archer who wounds everyone indiscriminately. Like a fool doesn't care about anyone around them. A fool does what he or she wants at the expense of everybody around them. You know, we want to be wise when choosing relationships that we develop. We want to be wise uh, with those we choose to date, those we choose to marry, to be friends with, to be co-workers with, to be business partners with. I'm sure many of us have made some poor financial decisions over the, the, the lifetime that God has given us so far. And I had a buddy of mine tell me a story when he was newly married. He gave his life savings to a business venture of somebody he knew. And his life savings was kind of like this nest egg that they were hoping would be sort of the ground level on a tech company. And everybody knows that a, a startup is risky, but this in his eyes was so promising because the person who asked him for the investment was so shrewd, so incredibly persuasive. And uh, he said, I lost it all. I lost all of my money. I lost all of my life savings. As a, as a young married couple, we lost what was very significant to us. The company went under, the money uh, was mismanaged, it was misused, and I mean, that's a big problem. When you uh, start uh, engaging and entangling yourself with others, you wanna make sure that they're wise people. Look at uh, Proverbs 26, seven and nine. A proverb in the, in the mouth of a fool is, is like lame legs that hang limp. In other words, there's not a lot of function there. Look at verse nine. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a stick with thorns, brandished by the hand of a drunkard. In other words, like imagine thorns in somebody who's just unstable and drunk. They are flailing and flopping and those thorns are just whipping by your face for danger and harm because that person's carefree and, and doesn't really fully know what they're doing. A proverb in the mouth of fool will, will most certainly be ignored. It'll be misapplied or it'll be misused. It's useless. It's harmful in the mouth of a fool. Here's what Jesus says. Uh, he, he, he pronounces these seven woes over these Pharisees and teachers of the law. He says, woe, wherever you are. Can you just say, whoa? I mean, like this is a, a guttural, whoa. It was, it was a, a word that meant sadness. Like he was, he was declaring how disappointed he was. He was casting judgment on their ridiculous, duplicit, two-faced behavior. And here's what Jesus said. He said, fools, fools. Didn't, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? Jesus is talking about God making the 
inside of us, the parts that we can't see, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, not just the exterior that everybody can see. And because these religious leaders who knew everything, who were more equipped than anyone, because they should have been equipped to do the right thing, but they weren't, Jesus says, you are a fool. He says, you're beautiful on the outside, which which really is a mask and a cover-up, and you're kind of dark and gross on the inside. These, These leaders, they were corrupt. They were damaged. So Jesus, avoiding entanglement with these people, he said this, Therefore, he's talking to the crowds. He's saying to the crowds, therefore, do whatever these Pharisees tell you because they're good teachers. They know the right thing and observe everything that they tell you, but don't do what they do. Why? Because they don't practice what they preach. Their words are good. Their knowledge is good. But the wisdom that's in their mouth is useless and it's actually harmful because they're using it to judge other people, not to build them up and bring them on track. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they should have been like the best at extending grace and mercy and reflecting who God is. But instead, they just let all that head knowledge lean into control. Wisdom was in their mouth, but it was misapplied and it was misused. Here's number four, four rules for responding to fools. Number four, don't take the bait. When you are engaging with the fool, you're gonna be tempted to take the bait. What they're gonna say is gonna sound so convincing and so good sometimes. Not all foolish things are so obviously foolish. Sometimes somebody who has convinced themselves to do what they're doing, uh, they have all of the arguments already played out in their head and they're gonna try to convince you. Don't take the bait. You know, fools, they don't quickly learn from their mistakes. They repeat their mistakes uh, in in their ignorance. Uh, You know, their investment in foolish things will often turn into an invitation to those around them. Don't take the bait. Uh, Misery loves company. And scripture says bad company corrupts good character. Don't take the bait. You know, as a kid, the very first verse I memorized after John 3, 16. That was number one. The second verse I ever memorized in my life was Proverbs 26, 11, and it'll do you a lot of good. Look at this. As a dog returns to its vomit, also a fool repeats his folly. Isn't that so graphic and gross and yet radically true? Do you see a person who's wise in his own eyes? There's actually more hope for a fool than for him. So we've got these levels now. I mean, we've got fools, but now there's somebody who is worse off than even a fool. So what does a fool do? Just like a dog returns to its vomit, also a fool repeats his folly over and over and over again. There's some sort of of pleasure that they get and they just forget about all of the garbage. And, and, And then there's a person who's worse off, somebody who's right in their own eyes. And on the surface, like saying that they're worse off than a fool, it kind of seems harsh. But Solomon, in in his God-given wisdom, is diagnosing a stubborn, arrogant heart, uh, the kind of person who thinks that they've got everything figured out. They reject advice and they reject correction because uh, no one could possibly know more than they know. They just push it away. In fact, the person that we're describing is never wrong in their eyes. But wise people are teachable. Wise people are teachable. It's it's hard actually sometimes to not take the bait too when somebody is so convinced that what they're doing is right. 
They've got all the arguments and they try to, they try to pull you in. They're convinced that they're right. Don't take the bait. You know, seek God's wisdom, be teachable, uh, but go to God's word to be taught, not a fool. We get to approach each day with teachability, recognizing the limits of our own wisdom. And, and none of us have everything figured out. No matter how knowledgeable we are, there's always more to learn. There's always space to grow. You know, Jesus didn't take the bait. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, we see uh, in verses 15 through 22, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, they're trying to, to bait Jesus in. They're trying to trap him. And the topic they talk about is taxes. Everybody hates taxes. I've never heard anybody go, yay, taxes. And so he's like, we're going to get Jesus here. And, and here's what we know about taxes. The, the Jews, they, they paid an imperial tax to Rome, but the Jews also paid their own tithe to the temple. They paid their own taxes within and the Roman government, they did not like any form of opposition. They tolerated it zero percent. Any answer that Jesus gives to any of their questions around taxes seems like it's going to upset somebody. And so they think this is the trap. He's going to fall for it. But Jesus didn't take the bait. He didn't take the bait when they started talking about taxes. Uh, in fact, uh, he calls them out, uh, perceiving their malice intent. Jesus says, why are you testing me, hypocrites? He doesn't take the bait. He calls them out. And scripture actually, it goes on to say that his response was so great and it was so saturated with wisdom that everybody listening was amazed and they just, they just left. They're like, well, I don't even, he couldn't have answered that more perfectly. We can't trap him. Let's, let's get out of here. These four things, these four rules for responding to fools, they're filled with priceless wisdom from God's word. Read the signs, like let your discernment kick in, save your breath. Sometimes the best thing is to say nothing and walk away. Avoid entanglements, you know, do not get into co-signing or a lifelong relationship or business partnership with somebody who is a fool. Don't get entangled. And, uh, and, and don't take the bait. Uh, sometimes that bait is going to look real good, but don't fall for it. Don't take the bait. Solomon says these four rules are going to help you respond to fools. And you know what we do? You know, we, we cautiously and intentionally follow the wisdom that's laid out in Proverbs. That's what we do. That's how we avoid becoming a fool because we don't want to follow or fall into foolish behavior. Some of you may have noticed the title at the beginning of our message, don't let fools make a fool of you. Let God, which sounds so weird, right? Uh, do we really want to be a fool for God? I mean, Solomon has been saying, don't be a fool. Fools are the worst. And, and yet we look in scripture and we see that we actually want to be fools for God. Uh, hopefully our faith is strong enough uh, that whatever God calls us to, we do. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't make sense to people who are not yet following Jesus. The, the ways of Christ are not the ways of this world. The world's absolutely confused about what foolishness is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. I love this. The message of Christ, his death, the message of the cross, it can seem foolish. It seems like nonsense to, to those who don't believe in Jesus. They don't understand the significance of who Christ is, what he has done, and the sacrifice he made. 
You know, they don't comprehend how a man who, who dies on a cross could have any meaningful impact. But for those of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior, the, the cross represents uh, the incredible power of God. It represents God's love. It, it shows us that, that He was willing to go the distance and pay the price to redeem humanity. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is, is a beautiful act. It's a wonderful story. It, it's, it's overwhelming. And fools just don't get it. Unbelievers, they, they mock the crucifixion. Uh, but for believers, it's the ultimate demonstration of God's grace and his mercy for a lost people. Through the death of Christ Jesus, he opened the door of salvation to everybody, to anyone who believes, to those who receive, he's given the right to become children of God. If we put our faith and trust and hope in the person of Jesus, he gives us salvation. So while the cross may appear weak or silly to non-believers, for Christians, it reveals the remarkable power of God's plan, a wonderful plan of our rescue from sin and rescue to a new life with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, you know, he states this very similarly. He's actually confronting the church in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, a church that was a little stuck on themselves. They thought they had everything kind of figured out. Their eyes weren't fully on following Jesus and worshiping him. It was on uh, control and power. And they, they, they were kind of growing out of line. And with a little bit of sarcasm, Paul says this, come on, he's talking about the disciples. He's like, we are fools for Christ. And then he says to the Corinthian church, but you are wise in Christ. And the disciples, he's like, we are weak. And to the church in Corinth, he says, but you, you are strong. And, and you are distinguished but we are dishonored. Paul's calling out the nonsense of their eyes not fully being on faithfully following Jesus. And Paul is exclaiming, I, I wanna be a fool for Christ. I wanna be so humble. I wanna chase after Jesus. To be a fool for Christ is, is to find your highest joy and satisfaction in following Jesus. You know, a fool according to Solomon follows their own way, their own desire, their own joy. A fool for Christ follows Christ because he is our joy. A fool for Christ that just seems reckless in the eyes of this world because the world says, we already have wisdom. Why do we need that? Uh, the world says immediate satisfaction and instant gratification. That's what we want. Those are good things. The world says we take whatever we want. The world says we live however we want. But a fool for Christ doesn't change any of those things. They don't follow status. A fool for Christ doesn't follow power or praise from man. A fool for Christ finds joy in humility, contentment in Jesus, honor in being last. A fool for Christ embraces sacrifice and service. A fool for Christ knows that faithfully following Jesus is the only thing that truly matters. A fool for Christ faithfully embraces sacrifice and service. A fool for Christ knows that faithfully following Jesus is the only thing that truly matters and, and is willing to be misunderstood and marginalized in the attempt that we make every day to make Jesus known. A fool for Christ understands that the rewards of this world fade away but serving Jesus stores up treasures that last forever. So the cross is foolishness to this world, 
so be it. Uh, let's be fools for Christ. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for your word and continuing to, uh, to shape us and sharpen us through, through sermons and devotions and being with other believers who are sold out to you. God, continue to, uh, to put wisdom in front of our face so that we can find it because we can't do this without you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.